you're listening to the Eddie Out Podcast. Current conversations with our community and their connections to the river. Hosted by Natalie Zollinger. Welcome. Plan B is where adventure begins. Indecision is the key to flexibility. And respect gets respect. All great advice from today's guest. Meet Bruce Keller. Bruce is an international river guide, heli ski guide, and jack of all trades, or what I like to say, jackass of all trades. (laughs) In this episode, we talk about his story, his experiences guiding around the world, his passion for heli skiing, and being a master of your craft. We were lucky enough to be able to record this episode the day after Bruce's birthday as a tribute to him and his story. I fucking love this conversation and know you will too. And without further ado, Bruce Keller. All right, welcome back, everyone. Today we have the pleasure to Eddie out with Bruce Keller. Bruce, welcome to the show. I'm really stoked to have you here. Awesome, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, you look good as always. <laughs> well, likewise with you, and um, it's uh, great to catch up in the middle of the winter. Absolutely. You know, I was looking on Facebook, and the last time we were in each other's presence was 2011 on that Grand Canyon trip. I don't wow. think I've seen you De- since then. Ten wide. years. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I'm going to put in the show notes. Um, I kind of was just searching Facebook and I have a, a bedrock run where you start on an Oars Dories trip. You're the lead boat. And I recorded you um, having a beautiful run. And I think uh, Regan was on that trip and Oat and uh, I forget, Andre maybe too. But I'm going to put that in the show notes because you lead the pack and yeah, you had a great run in your in your one-eyed Jack doorboat. As I recall, you uh, or you rode Regan's boat at the end of that trip down to Diamond Creek. I did. Yeah, I actually when I um I interviewed Oat, and I uh, I reminded her that, and she was like, "That's right." And then, but he didn't let me row. Is it like two? I still forget. What's the bigger one towards the end? Is it two fifteen, two nineteen? So the little, 219. Like 219. Yeah. yeah. 219. He's, he didn't let me roll that one. <laughs> He's like, I don't trust you. <laughs> um, he immediately oh, like, yeah, through the tailways. He's like, okay, now you can have the oars. <laughs> but apparently there's like a spicy wave in there that he was worried about. But uh, like, you know, all power to him. But yeah, so it's been 10 years. And I know that you've just had some recent things um, in, you know, COVID and uh, a surgery, a knee or hip surgery, but catch me up. I had a new hip put in. Um, a new hip, yeah. Catch me up with what's been going on. Okay. Um, yeah, just more uh, up. So I guess hiking with skis on, hiking without skis on, you know, better to wear out than rust out. Yeah. So it's been a year and a half and how's it feeling now? uh feels like part of my body now for about a year it was uh it was an alien there but um it was working way better than it did before but uh it's nice to have a new new hip yeah i can actually ride a bike again i couldn't put my foot over the bike for a while really yeah was it just too painful or what was going on it just didn't go in that direction um Mm. turned out i thought i was uh getting a new hip uh too soon and the docs when I got out of there it took a bunch of people to dislocate my hip to get it out of the socket because it was almost fused solid so 
Instead, if I'd have waited a little bit longer, it would have been a whole different surgery. They'd have been chipping that thing out of there. So, oh my god! Turns out I didn't go soon enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better, and now you can kind of go back to well, not go back to, but just still enjoy the things you love, like heli skiing and rafting and hiking and being just an amazing human. <laughs> yeah, well, it's nice to have nice that they have spare parts these days, and I can just. Uh, Put them in. I mean, the most amazing part about that surgery is they cut the biggest bone in your body and drive a tent stake in there and attach ball to it and ask you to walk two hours off the table. So that is that just blows me away. That is insane. Yeah, same with knee surgeries, right? They're just like you got to keep moving or it's going to freeze. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really excited to catch up, and I don't. I mean, for those listening in that are that haven't heard a lot about you and and really want to hear your story, do you mind just talking a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, um, what your childhood was like, and then also how you found the river or connected to the river? Well, I grew up in Kansas, of all places. You and Dorothy. Uh, <laughs> you know, it uh, is pretty amazing to, for a, as Odale once said to me, um, we're not in Kansas anymore as we were driving over the Dugway out of the San Juan. <laughs> headed back toward Flagstaff. She goes, what would a Kansas kid think of this? And I go, well, what I think is, and she's like, you're not from Kansas. <laughs> like, That's actually. Right. I was. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's pretty amazing to move from the flatlands and the subtleties of the Midwest and end up in the not so subtle landscapes of Canyonlands and Grand Canyon. And um, I had the privilege of growing up with my dad being a public recreation director. And he made sure that every spring or every summer we did some trip through the recreation commission. And one of his buddies in 1972 did a trip with Grand Canyon Expeditions and thought that it was the coolest thing he had ever done. So the next year my dad planned a trip uh, and I think it was $85 a head for a six day <laughs> desperate trip, uh, all inclusive from Kansas to Green River, Utah, and back, uh, and uh, we ran sport yaks, and it was with uh, Canyonlands Expeditions, which was a, a part of Grand Canyon Expeditions at the time. That's who Brad so Dimmick worked for, right? He talks about What's that? Them. I think Brad Dimmick worked for them. Uh, R.J. Johnson, I think, worked for them, and oh, okay, uh, and. Jack Tillinghast, Monty's dad. Oh, that's right. Okay, go ahead. And, yeah. And, um, yeah, and the Ecker clan out of Green River and Hanksville worked for them. And so, you know, there was a big crossover because after Canyonlands broke up, Canyonlands sold it to A.C. Ecker and it became Outlaw Trails. Mago Gerhardt worked for Outlaw Trails. He used to call okay. it Cowboat. <laughs> nice. If you're a boatman for him, you were a cowboat, but you couldn't decide whether you're going to rope cows in the morning or go whitewater rafting. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so you did a trip down the river. Yep. Did a trip, thought it was great. The next year we signed on, I think it was 73, to another trip with Candylands, and we ran triple rigs through Cataract. A guy named Foxy was in charge of that trip. And the guy named John Gartz was running a second triple rig. And uh, I remember 
running through Dark Canyon Rapids. Uh, and Foxy, Dark Canyon was the last real rapid we ran. And uh, Foxy gave us a talk. I was 11 years old at the time. He was talking to about how that rapid was going to disappear. And they were all going to disappear up to Tencent. And we were just, you know, stupefied that, that most of, you know, half of Cataract Canyon was going to disappear. And, but that was my first real introduction to the idea that Lynn Canyon Dam was going to have some big impacts uh, down the road. It's a little hard to grasp as an 11 year old, but uh, pretty amazing. I'm always blown away that I got a chance to run the Dark Canyon Rapid. Oh my God, I have no, I had no idea. I don't even know of that many people that got to see those rapids before they went under. Yeah, no, it, it was, uh, like I said, it was hard to fathom that you know, it would finish up at rapid 26 or 27 and we were down in, the, in rapid 48, 49, 50, that zone and uh, and hard to fathom the wall was gonna be that much shorter. What what do you remember about that rapid? What stood out? I, I remember getting bucked up and having somebody <laughs> grab my life jacket. When I was exiting the triple rig. Oh shit. Before I exited the triple rig, they grabbed me. <laughs> Whoa! So it, oh. it, had some, it still had some kick to it. Did anyone record any of those runs? Oh, no, you know, back in that day and age, it would have been ridiculously difficult to, to you know, you'd have to have, I think it would have been a Super 8 camera with actual film mm -hmm. that you would have had to have and, you know, pre-video. Right. So I don't know Damn. that there's much footage of any of that stuff. Yeah, no GoPros. <laughs> yeah, we had a uh, a young lady at the time. Uh, she uh, rappelled down to our boats from the uh, from the bridge there at height. Oh, really? Um, I found out later her name was Oat. That was Oat. No way! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Wow, all y'all, you're just your stories are all intertwined and connected. That's incredible. Well, I didn't know that for years later when I saw Oates' picture in uh, the Canyonlands Guide rappelling off the the bridge. And of course, back then that bridge was a lot farther from the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm gonna find that and put that in the show notes if I can. Damn. So that was 1973. You were, you said you were yeah. 11. Um, what? at that time did you know this is something you wanted to do or when did it when did it spark for you that you wanted to become a river guide well I did that sport yak trip and uh after I did that sport yak trip uh I was just like completely smitten doing river stuff and um one of my memories of that trip was uh we camped at uh, Sumner's Amphitheater and it was August so it was hot and low water and there was a mayfly hatch. It was just ridiculous. And thousands of catfish in the river. And uh, <laughs> this guy took me in the back eddy and we did a, uh, and he had this th thing that as a Kansas boy, I'd never really seen. And he had a canoe or a kayak, excuse me, and uh, put a football helmet on me and taught me how to roll a kayak. And that guy's name was Mike Hipsher. He ended up running a bunch of stuff. Uh, he ended up working out of NOC and uh, I ran into Hipshire 30 years later uh, at the One-Eyed Jack on the BOBO. 
and we were both leading trips. I was leading for Sobek and he was leading for NOC. And uh, he was uh, running a bunch of kayaks through for a bunch of people that weren't uh, quite up to running the one-eyed jack. And I think on his fourth run, he ended up going into uh, the hole at the bottom of the one-eyed jack. And uh, he was wearing one of those old SATA helmets that didn't fit that well, didn't fit anybody very well. And the SATA helmet dropped down over his eyes after he got surfed in this thing and he was coming out of it. And uh, he readjusted his helmet, got sucked back in and spent about seven minutes in that hole. <laughs> and, um, I was talking to him on his way back up after watching him walk. And we, I asked him if he had, um, if he remembered uh, teaching a little kid how to kayak in the back eddy at uh, Sumner's Amphitheater in the 1972. And it turns out uh, he did remember that. And I said, well, I was that kid. And part of the reason I'm here is because of you. And uh, then I went down there and surfed my raft for, I think, seven minutes in that same <laughs> hole. So picture and I got to trade surfs. Oh, that's so, so it sounds like he was kind of a, a mentor, like someone who stood out. Well, you know, it was just one of those experiences where you get introduced to something as a young kid that wasn't really mainstream back in the day. I think the, the kayak I was in was, a, a, you know, just a home-built um, home uh, fiberglass boat that, you know, and we used the football helmet for a helmet because you just couldn't get helmets right. back in the day. So it was... Uh, but yeah, you know, I followed him down. He ran the lead lead uh, sport yak. And um, we just followed him down through there. And I was like, this is pretty fun. I think I could do this for a while if, uh, if I ever got the chance again. And then and then who, what, what company took you in? Where was your first uh, outfitter that you started working for? Or well, where and who were they? Where was it and who were they? Well, about... Uh, 10 years after that, um, well, no, I guess it was seven years after that, um, my dad decided to do a summer, uh, another summer excursion to the Arkansas River. And if you're from Kansas, you call that the Arkansas River. Yeah. So yep. Arkansas. <laughs> I've and, heard it called uh, that many times. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, asked the boatman if I could row the boat. We were on a three day doing day trip section on the Arkansas. And a guy named Ronnie allowed me to row his boat. And uh, Ronnie went to the boss. Uh, he was the lead boatman for Jack Tillinghat, or yeah, Jack uh, Jack Defarge, uh, running a company called Whitewater Voyagers out of Poncha Springs, Colorado. And uh, he uh, spoke with Jack about, uh, he knew that they needed more guides for the next week. And uh, Jack was standing around the campfire that night, a little liquored up, more than a little liquored <laughs> up. He said, I wrote for one of my boatmen last night or yesterday. And I said, yeah. He goes, uh, he said you did a pretty good job. I said, yeah. He goes, uh, you want to have a job next week? And I said, <laughs> sure, I'm in. And, uh, um, you know, Jack summarily put out the fire by peeing on it and said, <laughs> We'll talk in the morning. Oh, shit. <laughs> and, sure enough, the next morning, Jack, you know, I thought Jack was not going to be uh, able to remember the conversation, so I kind of blew it off. And the next morning, he goes, so you in? I was like, absolutely. And uh, 
went home, packed up my stuff, 17 years old, and um, and uh, my mom and dad gave me the car and said, see ya. They weren't quite ready yet. I was the baby of the family, so they were not ready to see the baby leave, but they're like, okay, well, here he goes. And off I went to uh, Salida, Colorado, and um, went boating. They trained me up, and we were off to the races. I, I think I got eight hours of river training before they let me loose. And, oh my uh, gosh. You know, underage, the whole bit, but that really didn't matter back in 1980. Yeah. So, it's so that was it. Oh my God. Well, I mean, it seems as though, you know, people who became guides, it was kind of that kind of uh, karmic moment, you know, it's like, all right, you're here. We need you. You're fun. You're a great guy. You can row a boat. Come on down. Like That was your interview. It was pretty <laughs> bam, much bam, that bam. Way. Yeah, <laughs> Jack, uh, Jack was uh, desperate, I would say, for a boatman. And, uh, and like I said, he just uh, put us on the river for, I don't know, four trips, two, two half days a day. So we got two days worth of training. And then Jack uh, released me on the, the moderate one day that they had on the Arkansas. And uh, he put his banker, he used to get an operating loan to start the season because he didn't have enough capital. And then he paid the operating loan back. But uh, he put me on with his banker. And... Um, I hit the hole in, uh, it's actually called Badger Creek Rapid too, and um, and flicked the guy out of the boat, oh, shit. you know, the banker out of the boat. Jack was mortified that, you know, the banker who had loaned him the money went for swim on his first lap and was reconsidering the loan after that, I think is what Jack was worried about. Oh, no. <laughs> so did you stay with them or did you work I, with them for I a was, while? I was with Jack for two years at Whitewater Voyagers, and um, and then I applied with this guy out in Utah named A.C. Ecker. Okay, yeah. Who had, who had bought uh, uh, Canyon Lands from from uh, the folks at Grand Canyon Expeditions, and um, A.C. hired me right up, and and um, we uh, I just headed out there, and all of a sudden that was really the company that I'd started with, you know, boating with 11 years earlier. And now I'm doing a trip with, uh, with them. And, you know, I really like doing long trips instead of day trips or half day trips. It just was so much more satisfying to get to know folks and spend more time with them. Yeah. So Bruce, that puts you at 1983 and four running, running yeah. Moab, running cat, running um, well, big shit. Well, AC also ran triple rigs and uh, basically in uh, I started working for AC in 82 okay. and we ran triples down there was working with a guy named Pete Gibbs and cat uh, was running I think 55,000 and AC sent Pete out with me and Pete was an interesting cat because he invented the Gibbs Ascender, which a lot of fire departments still use for going up in buildings and stuff. But Pete was an interesting guy to hang out with. And, and um, Pete was told by AC, we were doing these cowboat trips where we'd float down from Green River and we'd go to uh, Queen Anne Bottom. And at Queen Anne Bottom, 
the uh, we'd pull in and AC had come right, or actually, uh, not Queen Anne Bottom. Uh, oh, close to Queen Anne Bottom there on River Right. Anyway, AC would ride down off the Robbers Roost Ranch with a bunch of people he'd been uh, hanging out with at the Robbers Roost and showing them how to be cowboys. And then he'd come <laughs> right down there. Miller Canyon is what I'm trying to think of. Oh, okay. And come down to Miller Canyon and drop them off right there where the two track ends and throw them on the boats and send them on down, down river. And Pete and I picked up a whole load of folks at Millard. And, uh, and by the time we got down to cat, you know, AC had given him permission to kick me off the trip if I wasn't a good enough hand. Oh, and shit. he, he really wanted to kick me off the trip because he wanted somebody more experienced on the back oar. But, uh, <laughs> we dropped into cat at 55,000 and we had a great run and it worked out great. And, uh, Pete was psyched, and I just remember camping at Clearwater Canyon back before it had been flooded. The first, you know, flooded really, really big, and we were hanging out at Clearwater Canyon in the ledges, and and Pete pulled out a bottle of black velvet because he <laughs> was happy that we survived Cat at fifty-five thousand. Uh, but yeah, running triple rigs for for AC was fun because it was different because he had these old these Moravias that he designed, and he had these aluminum frames and they were uh basically you know welded aluminum frames that all worked together in concert with uh as a triple rig they were specifically designed for that so it was a little different setup than uh other folks were running yeah can you talk about like <clears throat> you said the back or and would you call the the leadman the or lead boatman the front or the What's the yeah? What, what's trip the rigs would run sweep, so you know the front oar would be the guy out front. But it's front oar really is what you're directional what? guy. Uh huh. And okay. The back oar was really the meat, you know. I was gonna say, uh, yeah, talk about setting up the ferry and moving the boat to where you want it to be. And of course, at fifty-five thousand, what you're worried about is, you know, uh, the taco right? over into the gut. And oh, of uh -huh. course, it was prior to. Uh, Prior to the claw being in there, yeah. So, you know, the second part of the second part, you get flushed into the gut, and at fifty-five thousand, the gut's pretty substantial. Yeah. Did Did you have a favorite being in the lead or in the back, the front or the well, back? Well, there's such a, you know, there's such a different experience. You know, the front, you get launched off the waves, and go airborne, and in the back, it's <laughs> full crack the whip, and uh, and so. You know, and and the cool part about triple rigging was it's a team sport. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could have an entire conversation with the guy that was either in front of you or in back of you without ever saying a word. Um, and uh, and the guests were just completely unaware that you guys were having this conversation without even talking. Like, yeah. oh my god, that <laughs> is going to be huge. <laughs> Oh my God, I can't even imagine. But I mean, it sounds like you had some good runs. Did you have any like weird instances or experiences that you'd, you'd want to share or something that stood out being that kind of boatman? After I worked for uh, AC at uh, Outlaw Trails, I went back to the Arkansas for a year and, and did the 83 season on the Arkansas. And, you know, that was a little challenging because the water was high enough that we couldn't get under a lot of the bridges. Oh. So the, sh the sheriff called and closed most of the 
you know, any place where there was a bridge, Texas Creek or the 291 bridge, all that stuff was not doable because you couldn't get under the bridges and the sheriff didn't want to have any of it, you know, have, have people on the river and potentially run into those obstacles. So um, we literally got washed out of June that year because we couldn't go under bridges. But the next year, uh, a guy named Dee Holiday hired me at Holiday River Expeditions, and he hired me mainly because he knew that I'd worked for AC and that a lot of the gear was similar. And so 84, um, I got to run triple rigs down there. I got, I think, six in a row, and we were in the high 60s, low 70s, and just huge fun in there. Um, working with guys like Cliff Johnson and Brett Jameson and uh, Kevin White. And those guys were just awesome to run triples with. And we were running two and three triple rig trips uh, or two triple rig trips quite often. And, and sometimes uh, he had enough launches that we could run. You know, we'd have four, four rigs down there in a day and, uh, you know, running separate, two separate trips. But uh, we ran a lot in 84 and uh you know that was pre-self baylor so that was pretty pretty crazy you just top these boats and the floors would drop out and uh you know you could literally swim from the front of the boat to the back of the boat by going underneath the frame oh shit the and, true uh, buckets <laughs> yeah true buckets and i, I remember yeah. working with kevin white uh and this is one of those conversations you have and we're coming Around the corner a mile long to the buttonhole it's running 55,000 and uh 84 was the year that all those cottonwood trees washed off the bank uh at uh echo park those giant hundred year old cottonwood trees oh yeah 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 um that year the water was up all the way on top of the the bank at uh all the way up to the ranger station at Echo Park. You could literally, with a 30-foot rope, tie your boat off to the doorknob of the ranger station there. But it swept all those giant cottonwood trees into the river, which eventually came down to play with us in cataract. Oh, my God. And, uh, Kevin White and I were coming around the corner at Mile Long, heading toward the button, and this 50-foot-tall cottonwood tree uh, is coming right behind us, and it, or right in front of us, excuse me, and it just does one of those things where it hits the bottom of the river, tumbles over like a pixie stick, and jams up under the whole triple rig. Oh, my God. And we're going right toward the buttonhole, and oh neither God. one of us can get an oar in the water because the tree is so big that it, it spans both the oars in the front and the back. And Kevin and I just have this entire conversation like, oh, my God, we need a whole left, but we're going to go into the button. And we're going to go into the button with a, with a giant cottonwood tree. And uh, about, well, just in the nick of time, at least that's the way it felt, the cottonwood tree hit something else under the water and came squirting out the back, back of the boat and stood up straight up in the air, you know, and seen about 40 foot of the tree. And then it, then it rolled over and just missed the back boat. And it was just like, Okay, let's pull now. Let's get the hell out of here. Oh my God, but dude. that was one of those moments that um, really stood out when you just, you know, you, you think you're doomed, and then you think you're clear, and then you think you're doomed again. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, um, 
but yeah, Cataract Canyon high water with all that lumber in the water was uh, amazing in the early eighties. Um, it, uh, it got your attention. Mm-hmm. In your early twenties, lots of responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was actually, that was the amazing thing. You know, you look back on that and you see people working these days and, and you think, Oh yeah, they're young. And you're like, well, I was younger than that. Yeah, totally. Um, I remember uh, doing my first trip lead for AC Ecker, and he was sending me out with Lonnie Tillinghast, which is Monty's, Monty Tillinghast's younger brother, uh-huh. and Jack's son, you know, Jack Tillinghast. And I'd done a couple of trips with Jack in, in uh, working for AC at Outlaw Trails. And um, anyway, uh, I go, you're going to send me out on an all day, you know, a, a six day desert trip all by myself, single boat trip with, with Lonnie as the, the, uh, baggage boat. And he goes, and Lonnie was all a 15 at the time. Oh my God. So here I am, you know, bright eyed 18 year old going down river on Deso with a, with a 15 year old going, neither of us have cooked all the meals and AC just goes, all got to grow up sometime and send us <laughs> off. And, uh, and I think it finally got to him. He, he wasn't sure that we had enough experience to do it. So he came roaring down river in his, uh, red tail aviation plane, his 182, dragging his wheels in the river to check on us at Rock Creek. Oh shit! <laughs> and, uh, and he dragged his wheels in the river and went up and, you know, gave us a little wing wag and then, uh, came back around and he's coming pretty pretty hot, pretty low and tight, you know, and we see the door fly open and we know AC is the only one in the plane and the door's on the opposite side, you know, and it's not the pilot's door that comes open, it's the passenger door and he, we see this silver river bag zip out of the river and it comes skipping up to the boats and it just stops right on the boats. We didn't have to get wet to get it. Wow. And uh, AC just delivered us some ice cream at Rock Creek. Oh my God. <laughs> Dude, you can't make those stories up. <laughs> no. Well, That's awesome. you know, AC was a crazy man as a pilot, and uh, but uh, and flew a lot for Redtail, mm. and uh, it was just a, uh, you know, like I said, I think he he rethought whether we were old enough to be out there on our own, but um, he found out we were doing just fine. Yeah, you you proved it. You proved it at a young age. You still prove it now. So, so where, like, where'd you go next? What kind of, what companies or what location? What made you leave Utah? Well, I worked for, for AC for, or I'm sorry, I worked for D uh, throughout the, the rest of the 80s. And then um, I saw this one trip on the schedule in, uh, I want to say, uh, 89 and uh, it just looked interesting to me and it was uh, a trip from Deso all the way to Hype hmm. and uh, didn't know anything about it just said you know I want to do that trip and he really didn't want me to do the trip because he wanted me to lead a bunch of Westwaters and he needed trip leaders and I said well what good is it to be a trip leader if you can't pick your trips every once in a while and so I picked uh, I picked that trip and and the accommodated me eventually and uh, but part of that accommodation was he had to pick me up at height and fly me straight from height all the way up to sand wash 
Ooh. And so he flew me from Height straight to San Wash and, um, and got up there and, uh, well, flew, actually, that's not quite it. Flew from Height to Green River, spent the night. Next morning, got up super early, flew into Height or flew into San Wash with the folks and got to San Wash and, um, and all the gear was already there. And uh, I'm hiking down and the guide that's down there that set everything up is hiking up. And we both ran into each other right at the same moment and went at, out of our mouths at the same time came out, well, you're the trip leader on this trip, aren't you? And oh, no. <laughs> uh, we both laughed and said, no, you are at the same time. <laughs> and that's the way that trip started off. We never really figured out who the trip leader was, but for the rest of the trip from Cat or from Sandwash all the way to Height, every time we were going to do something, the same thing came out of our mouths. And that other guide was Brad Dimmick. Oh, and, really? And Brad, yeah, and Bradford showed up with this funny little boat, funny little wooden boat uh, called the Skagit. And uh, and it was before Martin had sold the company and he was trying to keep the upper basin trips alive and it was sort of a combo trip between um, Grand Canyon Dories and, and, uh, and Holiday. So we did that trip and it was like we were brothers from another mother mm. and had a great time and brad said hey you got to come down to throw bags for me in grand canyon um so i did and uh, i'd already done a private trip down there and did that trip with brad and we had another marvelous time down there it was back when october was cold it was an october 22 day and uh and i just remember doing that trip and having full combat gear all the time you know, now October seems like, uh, like, uh, the new September. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, anyway, we did that trip. And at the end of that trip, Brad was telling these incredible stories about this magical place in the Southern hemisphere, uh, on the BOBO. Um, and he goes, you ought to do that sometime. And at the time, you know, I was just, uh, um, barely scraping by and, uh, and said, you know, I ought to do that. And that was back in the days when Sobek was doing the pay to work program. So for $400, you could have the privilege of working your butt off uh, on a river in Chile for Sobek. Mm. And so I gave them my last $400 after my airfare down there <laughs> and, uh, and went down to Chile. And, uh, we were having a fantastic trip and a fantastic time. We just successfully run Lava South and Lost Yak and all the big stuff. And um, we pulled into just above the uh, the gym, the uh, the uh, Royal Flush, the cut, the shuffle, the deal, all those rapids. And we camped at this uh, place called the Termas de Avianos. Uh, hot springs of the hazelnut hmm. amazing place and um it was a full moon that night and all the guides decided to hike down to uh the hot springs and in chile the one thing that sobek always had was great red wine uh, on their <laughs> trips um we all were thinking the same thing and we all stuffed a liter of wine in each pocket on our way down to the hot springs i think there were five guides and we had 10 liters of wine and 
So we all sat down at the hot springs and waited for the uh, full moon to come up, which I can tell you never happens that time of year at the Termas de Avianos. <laughs> so we sat there and drank all the wine and waited for the, the moon to come up, and it never did. And uh, hot tubbing and wine, and we all tooled back to camp. It was about a mile back to camp on, a, on an old two-track road. And Brad and I were cooking breakfast the next morning. And um, we got up, fired up breakfast, significantly dehydrated. And we used to get uh, juices uh, in these one-liter Tetra packs for the guests. And uh, we went down and got, there were five allotted per morning. So I went down and got five of those. And Brad and I, in order to get rehydrated, counted all five of those. <laughs> so Brad ran down to the boats to go grab five more. And on his way back with an armload of juice, he uh, passed out, hit his head, and had a seizure. Oh, shit. Which, uh, which precipitated my career with Sobek. So I have to thank him for that. <laughs> um, Probably have. <laughs> I had just wow. got was fresh off uh, ski patrolling in Grand Canyon, in, in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. And I'd been backboarding lots of people. And before... I could get anybody's attention because everybody else was still asleep. I had Brad backboarded and all set up and Bart Henderson helped me and uh, we evacuated him. And I was the most reasonable person to evacuate him since I'd packaged him up, even though I had never been to Chile before. And it was President's Weekend. So the embassy was closed and everybody was closed, and, but did an epic evac of Brad. And uh, there was a guy named Andy Anderson on that trip. And he was managing, he had become the uh, the local owner of Sobek Zambia. And he wanted to see how trips were run. And he saw this whole package job and load and go job with Brad. And, um, unbeknownst to me, right when he got back to Zambia, he mailed me an air ticket. And I was at the Circle K in Moab when I got a phone call from them offering me uh, a four-month stint on the Zambezi. Um, at that payphone at the Circle K. I don't know if the Circle K doesn't exist there in Moab anymore. It was on the north side of town. Okay. Um, it's a maverick now. <laughs> and yeah. there's no payphone anymore. <laughs> but uh, that's how I ended up in Chile and then in, in Zambia and uh, worked a four-month season there. And the next year, I got another job offer uh, on the BO and stayed down there for four weeks. But that year with Brad, you know, he got to do that trip and they offered me a second trip to take his place for the second trip. And so that kind of jammed my foot in the door on the BOBO program and, uh, and then straight to Africa. And then I was kind of on the roll for doing, um, doing the international boating stuff. So mm -hmm. that was amazing. That was an amazing five or six years. That was the golden age of international whitewater. It was mm -hmm. before the internet. And, and therefore, they were looking for clearing houses of, of um, people to run trips safely for American tourists. And there were only a couple of outfits doing that, and Sobek was one of them. And so I spent the next five years traveling the world with 15 of, you know, 15 of the same folks. Mm. Yeah, amazing. I always but, wondered how you like got around and it sounds like, you know, back then you couldn't just like write this amazing resume, like your resume was showing your work ethic and, you know, how you could handle 
situations that you did and you proved yourself and you got these opportunities. It was right place, right time. You had to show up to win, but you know, the mm -hmm. most interesting part about that was there were a lot of people that could roll through Sobek. They were way more talented than I was. They just never had the opportunity to show some of their skill set. Yeah. And it was, like I said, Brad did me a huge favor by passing out and having a seizure. He <laughs> hit the back of his head right where his skull meets his, oh. his neck. And, um, but that's what, you know, the docs basically told him not to do that again in Chile. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <good> advice. <laughs> Hopefully yeah, not. Well, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> but a lot of people, you know, get that opportunity, but a lot of times the, to show off your skill set never really happens because it goes smoothly. And mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to have it not go smoothly. And, and that's kind of how that all happened. And, and, uh, and then you know, they call you up and say, do you want to go here? And the big key to making all that work back in the day was just saying yes. Mm -hmm. There's hundreds of reasons to say no, you know, but you had to look for reasons to say yes. So, mm -hmm. but you did. Uh, yeah pretty cool to get off the trip and they'd you know, there'd be a note sent into you you know at the takeout going hope you got your shots you're going to ethiopia oh my god <laughs> okay <laughs> what kind of shots do i need <laughs> right place right time that's incredible well i i it's because my next question was kind of like the story behind your boat, but it I'm linking not only the Rapid, the One-Eyed Jack, because your boat is named the One-Eyed Jack, the Rapid, but also your boss, your boss, Jack uh, Tilling, Tilling, how do you say his last name? Tillinghast? Tillinghast. Or Jack DeBarge. Oh, DeBarge. Well, two Jacks. I mean, you've got, Jack has been kind of a theme. And I'm curious, <laughs> like, you know, the opportunity with the boat. And can you talk about a little bit about the story of, of, your beautiful lady not well, echo but the other one <laughs> we'll talk about echo next <laughs> well, well, jack i mean um i guess it's a dude is it a dude what is your boat is it a lady uh is it a they all, all all boats you know have the she pronoun right. so you know my boat doesn't really label that on its email <laughs> right <laughs> um but uh she hers whatever um, but, uh, yeah, I started that boat, um, in, uh, 1999 on summer solstice and it Aww. just happened. It wasn't intentional. It just happened to be when I started it and, um, and, uh, worked on it through the, throughout the winter. And in the meantime, I did, so I went to Africa that year, went to the Zambezi, came back, was up here in Jackson for a little bit, teaching skiing. And actually, I think traveling in between working on the boat made it go faster because I'd sleep at night. And the uh, I'd have epiphanies about the next step on building the boat in the middle of the night, sit up and go, oh, that's how it, that's how you do that. And of course, I had epiphanies along the way with help from Regan and, and uh, Kenton and Brad, um, whom most of the time didn't always agree on the way I should do it. <laughs> but um, anyway, those guys were a huge help. And I put that boat together. I remember driving through Flagstaff on, uh, on my birthday on March 5th. And, uh, and Jerry saw me in town. There'd just been a huge snowstorm in Flagstaff. 
and I had this chunk of lumber, uh, 10 foot, six inch piece of, of ash hanging out of the back of my pickup. And Jerry saw me and she stopped me, Jerry Ledbetter stopped me and said, what is that? I go, oh, those are the gunnels for the one I jacked. And she's like, that has to be on the water and like by April 2nd, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. She goes, that'll never get done. I'm like, don't worry, it'll be done. So, um, you know, the next day when Regan and, and uh, Duffy helped me rip the gunnels for that and, uh, and we got it all done, but I got it, <clears throat> I finished up on uh, what I thought was the Ides of March. I finished up on March 15th. I was like, oh, cool, done. Stuffed the sparrows in the, in the sparrow pocket and noticed that the sparrows were hitting the orlock so the orlock wouldn't spin. No. So I ripped, snapped the line and ripped some stuff off of there, much to the, uh, I had a buddy in town, my old roommate from Breckenridge, a guy named Pete Beluga Schmidt, and uh, he couldn't believe I was just taking a, a grinder to the boat. It's like, you can't just rip that apart. It's like, yeah, I can. It's got to be functional. And anyway, ground <laughs> that off, put it back together, and finished up on spring equinox so it took exactly nine months and mm. I just thought it was uh, serendipitous that started on summer solstice finished on spring equinox and really happy that I didn't launch it on April 1st oh yeah <laughs> but uh, launched on April 2nd and uh, we had Brad's tandem trailer and we pulled up to the ferry and uh, Brad insisted that I get in the boat and they pushed it off into the water and Brad just soaked me with champagne as it goes <laughs> into the water. And um, it was never above 50 degrees for the next four days. So I sat sticky in my boat for four days, waiting for it to warm up enough to wash the champagne off. No. I was well below wet level trying to wash the champagne off. <laughs> was he on that trip so, with you or did he just? Um, he was, yeah. Okay. Uh, Jerry and Brad were both on that trip and that was uh, April 2nd. 2000 so it was the first story of the new millennium hmm. and huge. um you know and i spent it was also serendipitous that i spent time in chile with jerry and brad and um and they had encouraged me to build that boat and uh so you know after doing so many trips down there they were getting ready to build a dam on the they started building the dam in 1993 on the BO and the dam site was the one I jacked and uh, we watched them blast the one I jacked down to bedrock and and uh, kind of broke my heart so that's what I named my boat for in Martin Litton's tradition of uh, naming boats after beautiful places that have been lost. Hmm. It didn't have a, a name before then? No it 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 had a working name you know I was tossing a bunch of names around but Brad wanted me to name it uh, Bump and Grind, but I oh my God, Jesus, of course, a little bit, a little bit too brutal. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a well, triple off <laughs> yeah, and um, you so you finished it on the Equinox, and then it was. Were you working for a specific company by then, or were you just kind of bouncing around still? I was, uh, you know, right then. Um, Brad and Jerry were doing trips um, with this little company called Back Eddy River Trips. And uh, they were doing charters every spring and fall. And I was getting to do those charters every spring and fall. And um, 
Regan was scheduling me fairly regularly then, you know, three or four trips a year. And then every year, Brad and I with back Eddie would do some ridiculous trip somewhere. Um, you know, we did an all the way through Yampa to height. Mm-hmm. We did a Wyoming to Nevada. And, um, so, um, it was, I was scheduled fairly regularly with GCD and, uh, and so that was really fun. We did a couple of San Juans, uh, every, every other spring or something. So, yeah. Um, but it's been a lot of time with Brad and Jerry and, uh, I think that's where I met Andy Hutchison the first, well, no, that's where I met Andy Hutchison on the river the first time I bought a kayak from Andy Hutchison when he was living in, uh, living in Buena Vista, Colorado, um, in 1981. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> sort of, it's amazing how small the river community was then, and it's grown a, little, a lot, but it's still a pretty small community. But it seems like you run into people and then you run into them again 15 or 20 years down the road. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So you never really locked in with like a certain company. You bounced around and also was all about opportunity and seeing new rivers and seeing new stretches and also just saying yes and being available and being a, and just someone who like shares, but also is willing to, you know, receive. And I, I guess I, I'm meaning like feedback and just being better and wanting to learn and grow and, um, Brad, I didn't realize Brad was such an influence in your life and vice versa. Big time. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that was really fun with working with Brad was that Brad didn't really have any set structure. He's kind of an abstract random guy. <laughs> and, um, and all these trips we were doing in the upper basin or for, uh, you know, sometimes we work for hatch up there. Sometimes we work for Moki Mac up there. Sometimes we work for wild rivers and, we always went in with the attitude of we want to be a Moki Mac boatman or we want to be a Wild Rivers boatman and we want to mm. figure out how they do it. And uh, the cool part about that was you got lots of different perspectives and you got to cherry pick the good ideas and throw out the bad ideas. And after working for a whole bunch of river companies, there's lots of great ideas and every river company does something that's really wonky. You know, and, <laughs> If you can throw out those wonky things and, and cherry pick the good things, then it really gives you a broader perspective on that. And it also gives you a broader perspective on there are a hundred ways to skim a cat. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just have to do it this way. Um, I think people that end up working for one outfit sometimes uh, figure there's no other way to do a river trip. But mm-hmm. that was a great, great lesson doing trips for lots of different companies in lots of different situations and, you know, getting dropped in the middle of uh, Papua New Guinea and trying to figure out a river trip is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a different skill set than having it all set up and pre-packed for you and driving to Lee's Ferry on a paved road. Yeah. Right. Um, (laughs) Humble. You know, you you hire a rickshaw and you go and, you know, depending on where you are, you you hire a rickshaw and you go pack your trip up in India. Or, you know, it's just that that was a huge education and uh, being with uh, the folks from Sobek and also all these just amazingly bright folks around the world that you'd, you'd get a, get introduced to um, was pretty 
fun on the training end and getting to know more stuff about how to run river trips and how you run them wherever you are. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually, you come to learn that it's not the shuttle and it's not the food and it's not the gear that makes a good river trip. It's just interactions. Mm. And that was actually probably the best lesson is um, it's just people skills are what make a really good river trip. Brad, I like to quote Brad on this because river trips just aren't as fun as they used to be because the bullpen are too good. We used to wreck them and fix them. And when we had to wreck them and fix them, it was a lot more fun because it just was a bonding experience. And, mm. you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Running the perfect trip is not all it's cracked up to be. Sometimes just a little bit of uh, stress or a little bit of uh, hardship is uh, really good for uh, how people end up commingling. Mm. It's all about interactions and being adaptable and seeing new perspectives and hearing good ideas, but not being afraid to share when it's not so good of an idea. <laughs> yeah, you know, the hard skills are are teachable. Mm-hmm. Soft skills that aren't that teachable. And knowing the right thing at the right moment and and applying it is what 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 really is valuable. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can get the badge by knowing how to tie the knots or knowing how to read the river or knowing how to cook food. But uh, you know, the river's ten percent of it. Um and the the cooking's ten percent of it, and eighty percent of it's just getting along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. So I, I added this up. So you've been guiding for forty-one years. Is that about right? That's about right. Yeah, It'll be forty-one years. How like how do you keep yourself from getting burned out? What do you do to help complement your season? What is your key? What's your secret? Variety is the key. Um, getting to do a bunch of different river trips, a bunch of different places, and being taught by wherever you go. Uh, you know, learn the culture wherever you go, and uh, and then also swapping seasons. You know, my feet are really happy to get out of my ski boots on mm, April. Yeah. And my feet are really not so happy to go back into ski boots, but they'll eventually accommodate. But it's nice. <laughs> in late October, early November, not to have to pack up every single day and you can go home and, and, uh, you know, you don't have to pack all your stuff every day and slam it into a hatch and go. So I just think variety makes a huge difference and, um, not just variety with rivers, but variety with people and, and, Mm. uh, just seeing, doing different things all the time. I mean, you know, working for Sovac allowed me to go to a lot of different places. And then skiing allows me to do a lot of different stuff too. I worked at Jackson in the winter, been there for 27 years. Before that, I was at Breckenridge. And then, uh, you know, my second year at Jackson, I got an opportunity handed to me kind of similarly to um, to the BOBO situation of working for Sovac. I started working for a guy named Doug Coombs doing some skiing camps here in Jackson. And uh, we were skiing around one day, and um, part of my job was to follow Doug around and set pin set people that had tipped over, trying to trying to ski as well as Doug. And this one guy had taken a dive off of a 
almost taken a dive off a cliff and somehow I'd gotten out of my skis and grabbed him by a ski and uh, was holding there and and Doug looked back and I go, a little healthier, Doug? Because <laughs> this guy was going hit first off the cliff and I was trying to pull him back up. Couldn't quite do it. Doug came back down and we winched him up. And as we got him up and got him back in his skis, Doug uh, said to me, he goes, I could use somebody like you up in Alaska. Mm. And um, that's the winter I went up to uh, Alaska and started working for Valdez Heli Ski Guides. And, um, that was 1996 and been up there every year but one since. And that's oh. been amazing too. It's just a heli skiing is kind of cool because you get to use your first aid skills. You get to use your logistical skills that you learn boating. You get to use uh, your ski teaching skills to try and talk people down steep terrain. And it's, uh, it's a confluence of a bunch of different skill sets and it's amazing. Mm. So have you been pretty much ski guiding since you started guiding river guiding? Is, is that kind of hand in hand? I was ski teaching in the off season from um, the eighties and okay. then uh, right around 1994, I got hired on the guide staff at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort and um, was able to guide in the backcountry there. And uh, my patrolling skills that I learned in, in Breckenridge, I was an avalanche technician. So I got to apply those to the guide, the ski guiding stuff up in Jackson, which actually really uh, complimented going up to Alaska. Um, Doug Coombs was always amazed that he had three Kansans on his staff <laughs> heli skiing. So Kansans trying to get away from the flatlands. <laughs> So you have things to look forward to, you know, you, you have just when you're kind of getting sick of your boots, like you said, and the snow, you get to ride the snow melt, you know, all season long, would, where it depends on like the opportunity, but it sounds like your main um, locations have been Grand Canyon here in Utah. Um, do you still go down south or over in Africa or what's a um, consistent spot that you usually go to? as of yet, as of recent? I try and do a novel river trip every year. Um, Brad and Andy have been coordinating with uh, each other doing these trips called Dory Moon trips. And I occasionally get a tag along with those guys and that's huge fun. We took uh, six Dories down through the door a couple years ago on the, oh. on the 5500, so that was pretty fun. And we went all the way from uh, from the dam all the way down through to Jensen, to the Jensen River Bridge. So, um, and that was big fun. Took a lot longer than most folks do to do that. And then, uh, but every year I try and do something exotic. Like uh, last year I had a Tonchinchini trip planned and the, the uh, Canada wouldn't open its border to us because of COVID. So didn't get a, didn't get a go on that, but I try and do a charter trip somewhere different every year this year i've got a charter on the subway so mm. i'm looking forward to that oh that will be so fun <laughs> and uh i got a buddy that does ducky trips everywhere and last year we did the ducky trip on the subway uh duckies on the subway at 9500 cfs is pretty spicy <laughs> <laughs> i have no and, idea but uh, i can imagine <laughs> yeah it's uh it was fun we had a good time 
but uh, and he's always got ideas. He took us ducking in Bhutan a few years ago. Uh, he, Michael Worley, is a huge contributor to Grand Canyon River Guides, and um, he uh, he picked all of his favorite guides that he's worked with in Grand Canyon and took us all to Bhutan, uh, and we went ducking for hard sail kayaking in Bhutan on the Mummy Bridge, which was awesome. So, so you know, now, just getting getting opportunities to go different places and do different things, and just trying to to plan something uh, that you either haven't done in a while or haven't ever done before. Two, three years ago, I guess now we, Echo and I went over and did the did rivers in the Balkans. Um, did a a fun little river over there that uh, it was like a giant Havasu Creek. We were launching duckies off of three meter waterfalls which was pretty wild with guests, which is amazing. Oh, fun. <laughs> and, you know, it's all pool drop and the local guys there were awesome. And, and they, uh, they had it all set and safety up. So you could literally, you know, find these pour offs and drop into deep pools below and went swimming. It was no big deal, but double ducks off of big, big waterfalls is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but the Balkans is, you know, whitewater rafting in the Balkans is amazing. Anything we can do to keep uh, to keep the European Union from damming all those rivers mm. uh, is totally worthy because there's some amazing stuff involved. Mm. But yeah, just doing different stuff all the time, planning it, going for it. Done a lot of that stuff with John Yost as well, um, the original founder of Sobek, and he's sort of been reviving stuff and doing stuff all over, and and uh, and that's been really fun too. So I try to coordinate with John a little bit. Okay. So it sounds like not only variety in places and rivers, but people and crafts. Not just your dory, but you you're a great raftsman, um, duckier, kayaker, maybe pal stand up paddleboarder. Eh? I've run a paddleboard through Grand Canyon a few times, down the Zambezi oh. a couple of times. You know, it's um um yeah, did a first ascent in a paddle boat in Guatemala. So um I don't, I don't show that skill very often, but it's pretty fun. Yeah. Well, it's, you're definitely a true riverman. It's incredible. Well, after 40 years, you get to try almost everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned Echo and this is kind of going to be the first time we're talking about her, but Echo's your partner? My partner. Um, we've been uh, teamed up for 14 years now. Okay. What would you and, like the, uh, the world to know about her? Well, um, she's too smart to be a river guide. She's an engineer. <laughs> um, all those spare parts we were talking about. Um, she, uh, she did the original um, durability studies on uh, knees. You know, back in the day when they said you get eight years out of a knee, she's the one that did all the engineering and durability studies on, on spare parts. And that's oh. how she got her master's degree. Holy shit. And, um, you know, I think uh, about, well, 2008, she did a Grand Canyon trip. And at the end of 2008, she's like, um, or at the end of that trip, she goes, this, this was sort of a, a dry run for whether I'm compatible or not, isn't it? And I was like, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you and don't work passed. out on a Grand Canyon trip. <laughs> going to have to pass. Yep. <laughs> but I knew it was a good thing when uh, I think on our uh, the third day she had changed out of her flip flops and put some hiking shoes on and 
um, it was a wet sandy beach we pulled into in Grand Canyon. I want to say South Canyon. And um, she changed her shoes out and, and uh, she was given her flip-flops to be to put in the hatch and she picked them up and she threw them into the air. They're flying through the air. And I just ducked because I knew it was going to be a sand bomb landed on my deck. Didn't want sand in the eyes. And, and you know, about halfway through the, the arc of the flip flop, she's like, oh, no. Realized oh, no. <laughs> they were a sand bomb. Realized oh, why no. I was ducking. And, uh, you know, they exploded on the deck. And I knew she was a keeper when uh, she came down and she was more uh, appalled at the sand bomb that she'd thrown at my boat. And she just sat down there and and uh, cleaned the whole deck of the dory off and it's like okay she likes my boat at least as much as i do <laughs> yeah so for for those that don't know like you know we our boats every every bowman's a little different but you know we're it's like h and t all the time no sand like some some boatmen have mats that they clean their feet and then they you know just like it's the last thing you want is sand and 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 uh your customers don't necessarily know that or respect that and it, you cringe every time a muddy shoe comes into your boat even though you know it is you got you have to be adaptable but still <laughs> there were boats but there were yeah. boats yeah if you can avoid it yeah and she knew that she's like oh no she's a keeper this is bad <laughs> but she's uh she's got quite a river hit list these days the balkans and the allsec and the Zanskar and you know she's uh we occasionally go into the the uh river store here and she's buying a new piece of gear for a new trip and the local guy who has a pretty good hit list himself just goes where are you going next and she tells him and she's like oh that's on my bucket list <laughs> <laughs> so she's so got she's saying a bunch yes. of really great trips cool so you know just listening to you in this like past hour um, and hearing your stories and the amount of knowledge and the things you remember and even just on our our trip together I remember you were just pointing out like not only the plants but you knew all their names in Latin and you just you 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 have so much knowledge and you speak so elegantly like what would you attribute to remembering so much and not only remembering it but just like when you speak you speak with, with conviction and you turn all the um, eyes, you know, you, you, I, I think you get a lot of respect. The, I think the, uh, the thing that lends itself to that is doing trips all over the world and drawing connections between places. Doing trips up in Alaska, you know, one of the most amazing things about being on the all and the Kachin Chini is the riot of flowers that happen up there. You know, all the flowers, there's just as many or more flowers up there, but they all have to bloom in a three-week period. And so it's a big attraction to identify flowers for people and, and, uh, and uh, all that stuff. So spent a lot of time doing that up there. And a lot of the guides up there did that. And then they, uh, and then that carries over into wherever else you go, you go to Grand Canyon and you want to identify flowers. And uh, um, somebody told me, uh, you know, I did this for a long time and I just got tired of saying, I don't know. Mm. And when you're floating through the geological, uh, the geology book, you might as well learn something about the book. 
way better than looking at a geology book when you can just float through the layers and find it all and and uh, you got plenty of time to look and be curious and um, I think curiosity is the big thing there it's just tired of saying I don't know or making up a story and and uh, anymore they just check it they, they google it and see if you're making up a story so you got to be accurate luckily in the grand yeah. though you, you can't you don't <laughs> reception so you can <laughs> stretch the truth but no working around people like brad demick and um and andre potochnik and lou steiger all those guys have a ton of info they like it to be accurate and it's amazing how much knowledge they have and um it's always nice to be quiet and listen to what they have to offer and then um, integrate it into your own story, your own knowledge base, because a lot of that comes from them. Uh, Dave Lyle's another person like that. He's primarily, you know, Dave Lyle out of Moab, primarily responsible for uh, making me learn flowers um, because he's a amateur botanist mm -hmm. and uh, or semi-pro botanist, I should probably call him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just seeing what everybody else has to offer and kind of learning from them, that's been a real treat. And um, and I can't think of a better college education than getting info from Brad and Lou and Andre and Dave and, and sort of integrating it into your whole worldview. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I've said that a lot. Like it feels like a college education because you know a little bit of everything. Jackass of all trades, master of none. <laughs> exactly. What um for those for those that want to make river guiding a career, and I know that I've asked you like what has kept you going going all these years, but for someone who's new and is like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, do you have any tips or feedback for them to to think about and consider as they you know, guide each year. Thanks. Keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. um, don't overdo it. Don't turn it into a job. Um, I was going back through some old photos from the Arkansas, and uh, there used to be a photographer that used to hang out at a rapid called Zoom Bloom. And the guy's name was Josh. And Josh probably had a thousand photos that he run in Zoom Bloom twice a day for three years. And uh, I started noticing in every single photo that my oar was within a quarter inch every single time when he snapped the photo. And it was almost like choreography. Hmm. And if all of a sudden everything you're doing is choreographed or just the same, then you need to change it up and make it fresh. Hmm. Keep doing the same thing and keep repeating the same thing. It becomes like work. And, the last thing I want to do is make special places be like work. And again, that's the variety part. Mm -hmm. uh, getting exposed to different cultures, getting exposed to different things. And and then the last piece of that is taking care of yourself. Um, you know, boatmen are pretty good at taking care of other people. And quite often they neglect themselves. And, um, and if you take care of yourself, um, you can make it last a long time. You see a lot of people that overdo and do the same repetitive motions all the time. You know, rowing trashes elbows and wrists and 
and paddling trash his lower backs and shoulders. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you got to be nice to yourself and do the right amount. And not enough is going to go hungry and too much. Um, you're going to destroy yourself. So hmm. there's some happy in there that you got to, and you just, you just don't want to make it work. You just want to make it still fun every single day. Make it and, fun. Uh, that's the, that's the hard part. Walking that line, especially when it's new, um, you know, and, but I've been graced with all sorts of variety, which has been super rad. And you've traveled all over the world. You've not only led trips, but you probably, you know, baggaged and everything in between. What advice do you have for those that are struggling at trip leading or those that like are natural trip leaders, but don't realize why or what they do that that's, that's great? What tips do you have for someone who wants to be better at trip leading? Um, when I was a first year trip leader, um, I noticed that all the people I've been working with prior to that, when I was just a member of the crew, everybody I worked with was super competent and super super wonderful. And when I became a trip leader, my first year, all of a sudden those people that were super competent and super good at what they did, um, when it was respons my responsibility on the line, I all of a sudden didn't trust them anymore. Hmm. And, and I was freaked out. Did they tie their boat up? Are they doing that right? Are, you know? And my advice for new trip leaders is, yeah, they're still really competent. Hmm. <laughs> You know, don't let your responsibility um, get in the way of realizing that your the people you've worked with forever are still really great. And first year trip, it takes a while to grow into that and to let people do what they're going to do without being overbearing. You know, it's really hard to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really hard to, to run the quality trip you want to run and let people do it the way they do it. Uh, and it takes a while to learn that we all do what we do best. You know, let people do what they do, and most boatmen take pride in their work, so they'll do the best job they possibly can. And you gotta, you gotta have trust to let them do that. And uh, sometimes it's really hard to do that when you're, when it's your reputation on the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it took me a while to learn that. And, once I finally, I hope I finally figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. 41 yeah. years. <laughs> well, you know, um, that's the other thing is, you, you know, being a good, uh, I like to watch people lead trips and I like to have those same people follow trips because one of the keys to being a good follower is just to know what the trip leader needs next. You know, what's going to take the burden off of that person, of the trip lead. And, um, and once you understand that, it actually allows you to be a better trip leader because, um, you can do both jobs mm -hmm. and, uh, and you can recognize when somebody's really trying to help you out. Um, I've been in situations where people are really, I'm trying to help them out as a, as another, as, as a member of the crew and they're not recognizing it. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> they're trying to help me out and I'm not recognizing it and you know part of that's having an open mind and just recognizing that everybody's probably they're not trying to pickle your job they're trying to do the best they can for everybody mm -hmm. um, 
otherwise they don't make it in the job for very long. Uh, nobody wants to have somebody that is uh, problematic on the crew. So, um, you know, respect gets respect, I guess is the. Mm, I like that. Respect gets respect. So speaking of problem crew, um, <laughs> 41 years, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of feedback. You've given a lot of feedback. Is there any standout feedback that you've received that changed you into become a better guide that you are today or man or human? Um, yeah. Um, a wise guide once told me it's better to be a sleeper than to overdo it all the time. Hmm. You know, so it's, uh, if you're there quietly being competent, um, that is, um, you may not think it's noticed, but uh, it's noticed because the trip always goes smoothly when, when that person's on it. And um, just quietly and competently do your job and make sure that all the holes are filled, then um, it works out really well. Mm -hmm. And it just makes life easier for everybody. And uh, I thought that that was a great piece of advice because, you know, there's the rock star out there in fun all the time that may step on toes by stealing thunder. Uh, and there's the person that doesn't do their share. But then there's that person that's always in the background making sure that whatever needs to get done gets done. And uh, that person doesn't ever go for glory. They're just out there doing it. And, mm -hmm. uh, that is the one, you know, when you look back on, on a good trip, you go, gosh, that person was always there and always quietly kicking ass. And uh, so I thought that was a great piece of advice along the way. And, and, uh, and also looking, you know, it's okay to be enthusiastic, but don't be too enthusiastic and do it the hard way when you can be a little less enthusiastic and do it a more efficient way. Because mm. you see some people that chuck themselves at a problem and they end up doing the work twice or doing twice as much work to get it done. And then other people step back and they're a little bit thoughtful. And in that thoughtful process, they save a lot of work and get the same job done in probably less time working too hard at it. Mm -hmm. I so. could probably hear that a few times over <laughs> remembering. I think as a female, sometimes I feel like I got to be out there, even though sometimes maybe I don't feel comfortable or I don't really know what I'm doing, but I want to be there because I want to be seen as someone who can be relied upon and confident and, and a good strong second, you know, but that can, that can go against Jess sometimes. So that's a good reminder for me. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I never saw that. I, I never had to worry about your confidence. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, I'm curious, what's on the horizon line for you? Like, what do you, um, what anything in 2021 that you're excited about? 2022 or just um, how many more years you you gonna keep traveling the world, rowing one eye jack? Well, I'm you know right offhand I'm just starting to prep for my heli ski season um, and, and get the COVID shot, of course. Um, hopefully the COVID shot happens and then I fly up to Alaska and, uh, and, and then get that all done. We'll see. That's, uh, that's a little up in the air, but that would be a nice thing to get taken care of. 
-hmm. And then I've got that uh, subway trip coming up, which I'm looking forward to. And then uh, got three, four Grand Canyon trips this summer, which uh, all of my crews, uh, Lars Har, set me up with a bunch of great, great folks to work with. So I'm looking forward to those. Or's uh, in the Grand Canyon. Our buddy yeah. Lars is the manager there. And uh, might have a Yampa trip or two. So might drag my dory up and run the Yampa if there's enough water in the steamboat watershed. Mm. And uh, and then I've had this pile of foam sitting around for a while to build another boat. But uh, I noticed that Brad's built these things that he's calling uh, uh, dory yaks. The dory yak. I was just going to say, you could do a little... And, uh, <laughs> I was querying him the other day, he and Andy, about uh, those, and um, I think I have enough foam to build three of those. So um, I may just build one little Briggsy boat, Briggsy type boat, um, make it lightweight for, for you know, my the one I jacked is kind of a work boat. I built it tough, and uh, I might build a little Briggsy lighter boat for uh, a little bit smaller rivers. Or um, it might be fun to build a couple dory yaks and maybe teach Echo how to row one of those. I was just going to say, yeah, it sounds like on, a perfect boat for Echo. Yeah, go on little dory yak expeditions and, you know, up here in, at the headwaters in Jackson, the rivers are a little bit smaller and dory yaks have fit in here pretty well. Aww. Well, so. if you're out on the water and you see the one-eyed jack, give, give Bruce a, a wave. <laughs> Tell him you heard this episode. Tell him how amazing yeah. he is. <laughs> we're at the right spot we'll put you on the bow post for a, for a bow ride hell yeah <laughs> um i have a question i always like to ask those that are much older and wiser than me not really you're not much older and wiser but uh, I'm I, just, <laughs> I just turned 37 this year and i'm always curious I, it's a gauge for me like where i'm at and if i'm kind of in in the right place that i should be at at my age and so where were you when you were 37 if you can remember what were you doing um, at 28, I guided my first international whitewater trip and, uh, and that was on the Zambezi. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I led my first international whitewater trip and, um, and at 37 would have been, heck, I guess it would have been like 2000. So oh, I just you're both. gotten done building my dory. And just gotten done managing a season on the Zambezi and um, was just, you know, I was still on kind of a roll going, you know, going all over, just bought my, bought a house in Flagstaff. And, um, but in that whole process, I, I guess uh, I was helping John Yost start up a little river company, an international whitewater company, just uh, doing doing uh, boutique river trips called Wontok Adventures. And I was helping a guy named Theo Miners in Alaska start up a heli ski operation uh, called Alaska Rendezvous Guides, 20th season this year. And, Congrats. Um, and uh, you know, just doing a bunch of, bunch of fun stuff and, and uh, doing a bunch of uh, little startup things and, and uh, really having fun and uh yeah oh i think you're at the right spot you're doing <laughs> a lot of new stuff too with all the with all the uh, 
Southern. Yeah. Well, you were living the dream, Bruce. And that's well, cool. Like said, that was kind of a golden age of, of international whitewater travel. It wasn't like there were, you know, now everybody kind of does it. But back then it was just a few people. Yeah. Uh, and you probably knew them all. <laughs> it was uh, quite an education. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, I love that. It was the birth of the one-eyed Jack. That's like a, such yeah. a, a cool kind of come back to, you know, full circle. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of birthdays, it was your birthday yesterday, no, two days ago. Yeah. Happy birthday. How young did you turn, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, 59. Hell yeah. <laughs> you looking good, my friend. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's the spare parts. Parts. There you go. <laughs> Attribute that to Echo. <laughs> there you go. Well, is there anything exactly. else you want to share with the audience? Anything you want to bring, uh, draw attention to? Any last words? Anything you want to promote? Well, just go out and have fun and, and say yes. Say yes. I love that. Yeah. And where can people find you if they want to book a trip with you and or follow you on, on social media? Or where, where do you want people to find you? Where do you want to be seen? Oh, gosh. Um, I just, uh, I'm always around Jackson. Okay. You know, I have a home base in Jackson, Wyoming. And, um, and um, you know, a lot of just contact me about trips anywhere. Um, that's the cool part about that little Wontok Adventures thing. Wontokadventures.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we'll do boutique river trips anywhere on the planet. That was the Balkans thing. And um, done some trips in Guatemala. I know John's doing some stuff this year down in uh, on the Usmacinta, if uh, if COVID allows. So it's just fun to, you know, that that's where I'm at is just doing little boutique river trips for people who want to have fun. Love it. I'll put that in the show notes so people can click on that and find you and book a trip. All right. Yeah. Last question, Bruce. Um, what's what's the biggest lesson you've learned from the river? stands out to you today um indecision is the key to flexibility Mm. you know the the river always you can make all the plans you want and um and try to execute those plans and a lot of times they work and uh a lot of times they don't and if you're flexible and you can uh change your program right in the middle uh and, and hopefully plan B or C or D work, then um, life is good. But if you're uh, if you're too brittle or you're too rigid, you're gonna break. And uh, if you can make quick decisions and uh, positive decisions, then um, it works out for everybody. But that's where the adventure begins too, is plan B. Where the adventure begins. <laughs> it is plan B or C or D or F. <laughs> Somewhere down the road. Yeah. Well, before we end, I'd like to just take a second to acknowledge you, Bruce. Um, we've only done a few trips together, but I really learned a lot from you um, in just that short amount of time. And you stuck out to me as just a person whose passion and purpose really sync up, you know? And um, you really found, I, f- I see that you found your calling. And I would say with conviction that you've really become a master of the river, the master of your boat. And um, you speak the language so well and translate it to, to easier clients and, and fellow river rats. 
and just wanted to say happy birthday to you and I'm really honored that you came on the show and gave me some of your time. Scott. Thank you and you know that whole thing is reciprocal. Mm. Uh, I appreciate the kind words but I also appreciate that everybody I do a trip with um, you get to learn something from them and you get to take something away and, and that's what that's the cool part about voting is and that's the cool thing that rounds off the edges and makes makes voting specials you, you get to take away something from everybody that you go on trips with them so thank you mm, thank you even if you forget you're <laughs> at one point you remembered <laughs> at what point you learned something well thanks for sharing everything and um i hope you have big hits and clean runs this year and every year that you're you're in your boat and um have a great season and i look forward to following your adventures right on well let's go boating again i'd love that thanks bruce have a, have a great day happy birthday again awesome Cheers. well that's our show thank you so much for joining me in this conversation with bruce keller to book a trip with bruce or to learn more head on over to our show notes and see what he's got going on for the 2021 season if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, make sure and share this link with someone you think would benefit from it too. And a quick reminder to subscribe to Eddie Out on social, as well as giving us that five-star rating and review. I'm very grateful for you taking the time to listen in with me today. And until next time, big hits, big fun, good health, and high water. Cheers. Cheers.